Hey, this is Stephen, and I want to welcome you or welcome you back to the Grove Church Podcast. For more information or to find more resources like this one, be sure to visit us at grove.org. Thanks for listening, and I hope the following message is encouraging and meaningful to your life. Well, good morning and welcome to The Grove. We are so glad that you are with us today. If you are joining us for the first time or maybe the first time back in a while, we're glad that you're here. My name's Stephen and I'm one of the pastors and we are in the middle of a sermon series called The Good Work. And what we're doing through this sermon series is we're looking at the book of Nehemiah. It's a book that maybe you heard of once and forgot about, or maybe you've never heard of this book, and you're like, I'm not really sure that's in the Bible. It doesn't sound familiar. It's in there. But the reason that we're looking at this story is because I think throughout the story, there are constant reminders, constant examples of who God is calling us as people to be, who God is challenging us to be in terms of the work that we're supposed to be doing in our life, the work that we could be doing in our families, in our communities, or even in the world. And as we've gone along through this story, what ends up happening is it's like if you're watching like a series on TV, like Game of Thrones or something else, and you're like, okay, I can't keep all of the details straight. I need like a series recap to remember who all the characters and the players are and all of the different storylines. We're about at that point in the story where you're like, okay, I remember there's a guy named Nehemiah and there's a wall and that's really kind of about it. So if you are new to this story, or if you, like me, need the series recap every so often, here's kind of where we are in the story of Nehemiah. So we are looking at this time period around 500 BCE. And what's happening in this time period is Jerusalem and the people who live in Jerusalem, the Jews, they've been taken prisoner and they live in Babylon. Now, Nehemiah realizes that there's a group of Jews who've gone back to try to rebuild and restart civilization in Jerusalem. Nehemiah realizes that they're not able to be successful because the walls around Jerusalem are destroyed and in ruin. And because of that, they can't establish themselves as a kind of a city-state in that area at the time because they're constantly under attack and vulnerable and threatened. And so they're not able to regain the prominence that they once had, and the prominence that God originally promised to them. And so this really breaks Nehemiah's heart, and so he feels convicted and feels like God has given him a mission and a vision to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls. Well, that's all fine and good, so he goes down and begins to do this work, but along the way, what normally happens anytime we're engaging in any type of work in the world is he experiences opposition. And so we talked about that last week, the different types of opposition that Nehemiah faced and his response to those opposition. Well, we're at the part in the story now where Nehemiah is actually starting to have a little bit of success. Things are actually going well. He's been able to navigate the resistance and the attacks from the other players and the other enemies who surround Jerusalem. And the wall is being built and it's getting close to being finished. Now, this is the part like in any series or any series of movies where the hero is starting to get success, it's like in Rocky III, you know, where he's like finally been successful and he's achieved what he's trying to accomplish and the success actually creates problems. He's involved in 
these restaurant plans and he's kind of stopped training as hard and he's kind of throttled back a little bit and then this guy, this upstart named Clubber Lang comes along. Not, come on, some of y'all have seen the Rocky movie. Help me out here. <laughs> Nod your head. There we go. Thank you. This is about where we are in the Nehemiah story. Nehemiah's had a bit of success and anytime you've had any amount of success, what ends up happening is you're not in danger of failure as much as you are in danger of distraction. Maybe you found that in your own work. You finally kind of peaked the hill, you've overcome most of the hurdles, and so things are starting to go well. And it's actually not the risk of losing the business or failing in the business, but it's actually, we have so much success, we don't, we don't really know how to harness it, we don't know how to channel it. It feels like everything that we touch turns to gold, and so really the question comes into, where should we apply our energy? Where should we apply our focus? Or maybe you're in this season with your family where, gosh, my kids are so good at everything. And so that leads them to be involved in everything. And so how do we navigate all of the options that are available to my family in terms of the way that my kid can participate in the world? Well, they're good at choir and they're good at dance and they're good at soccer and they're good at volleyball and they're good at tennis. And so what ends up happening is we end up getting ourselves in a whole lot of trouble because of the distractions that come into our lives. In fact, most of us today, the trouble that we find ourselves in is because of distractions. And it's not bad distractions. It's actually the good things. And that's what happens to Nehemiah. Nehemiah is presented with a series of different types of distractions. Some of them present themselves potentially as good opportunities. And so it's something that Nehemiah has to navigate, Nehemiah has to understand, okay, how do, I, how do I decide what I should be doing? And in it, we learn from Nehemiah how we should be living our life as well and how we can stay focused as we navigate the good work that we're all to do. Because what happens is the word no never gets us into trouble. No never gets you into trouble. It's always the word yes that gets us into trouble. And so we have to be far more careful with our yeses than we do with our noes. For your family, maybe you find yourself in a season right now where yes has meant you don't have any margin with your time. We've said yes to too many activities, too many organizations, too many events, and now we see ourselves coming and going and we're not able to really spend any time as a family because we've said yes to too many things. Or maybe you had a little bit of financial success and so you started to say yes to all the things that you wanted to invest your money in or spend your money on. And now you realize that you no longer have the same level of financial success that you did because of the way that you said yes to everything. Or maybe you started to have a little success in your dating life but you've said yes to too many people and now all of those people realize you've said yes to other people and now they're starting to say a lot of no's to you. Nervous laughter this morning, that's a good sign. And so this is where Nehemiah finds himself. He finds himself presented with these opportunities to go off mission, to take his eye off his focus and to get distracted. And there's a couple of different types of distractions that Nehemiah faces that I think face us and present themselves to us as we try to do the good work in our lives. So let's jump into the story of Nehemiah. Here we are in chapter six. Now, 
when Samballot, Tobiah, Geshem, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall and that there were no gaps left in it, although I hadn't yet hung the door and the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let's meet together in one of the villages in the plain of Ono. Now, if you have spent any amount of time in business, whether it's in the private or the nonprofit sector, you realize that nothing gets in the way of accomplishing your mission and work like meetings. Nothing has the ability to derail momentum like a well-timed meeting. And this is what happens to Nehemiah. Nehemiah is presented with the opportunity to meet and to discuss. Now, like us, Nehemiah recognizes that this is an opportunity. But the question isn't, should he do it? It's what kind of opportunity is this? Because it's oftentimes the good opportunities that get in the way of the great work that we have to do in our lives. Maybe for your family, you've realized that the thing that you prioritize most, the thing that you care most about, the vision that you've had for your family of eating together every night around the dinner table, that's gone away because of the opportunities that you've taken, the meetings that you've agreed to, the time that you've decided to apply elsewhere other than the thing that's most important to you. Or maybe with your business, again, you got distracted, you were having some success, and then you started to diversify and get involved in all of these other businesses that you don't really have as much experience in, and so that's taken more time because you're unfamiliar with the territory and the terrain, and next thing you know, your business is struggling because of all of the good things that you've said yes to. Well, Nehemiah recognizes the danger and the pitfall that is presented in these opportunities. And so he is really straightforward. And he says something that I hope that we'll learn from and be able to take away with. He says, but they wanted to harm me. He knew that the good thing was actually going to be a bad thing because it was going to take him away from the most important thing that he could be doing. Because that's what happens in our lives. It's not that we spend our time caught up in all the bad things, it's that we often get too distracted with all the good things. And those good things get in the way of the most important things in our lives. You no longer make time for your marriage because you're involved in all of these other good activities and all of these other good opportunities. You no longer make time for your kids or your family because you're so distracted by all of the other stuff that you're spending your time doing. And so this is what Nehemiah says. It's a longer version of the word no. He says, I'm doing a great work, and I can't come down. Well, just like any opportunity, it doesn't usually present itself just once. So after Nehemiah says no, I'm doing a great work, and I can't come down, they sent me a message like this four more times. There are always going to be more opportunities than we have time for. There's always more good out there that we could be doing, that we could pursue. And it is a matter of whether or not we have the discipline in our own lives to prioritize the most important things. Now, for each of us, those important things look different. For some of you, it's the people that you are raising in your household. Or it's the person that you stood next to in front of a whole group of people just like this and said, I do. Or maybe it's the work that you've committed to do in the world. 
for all of us, we have these, these different priorities. We have different good work that we're supposed to be doing in the world. But for many of us, we've gotten distracted from that because instead of saying, no, I can't come down, we'll say, well, yeah, okay, I've got 15 minutes for that. Or yeah, I can meet you for lunch. Or yeah, I can go to coffee. Or yeah, I can sit on that board. Or yeah, I can go on that other work trip. Or yeah, we should invest in this new business. Again and again and again, if we do not say no, our yeses will pull us away from the most important things that we should be spending our time and our efforts and our lives on. Now, what's difficult with the no is it means that you have to let go of the opinions of the people that you're saying no to. Oftentimes, that's where we have the biggest challenges. It's because we prioritize popularity over purpose. We recognize that saying no is going to cause us to break rank with what everybody else is doing. And conformity is safe. Conformity is nice. Well, all of the other parents spend their time this way, I just don't know that I could say no and our family not do that because all the other families in our school are doing that. What would it mean, what would they say about us if we, if we didn't do that? Well, I know that all the other kids are involved in all of this, but if I say no, my kid's going to think I'm a mean parent and they're not going to understand maybe for the next decade why I didn't allow them to play 18 sports. What will they think of me? What will the other parents think of me? No, I'm going to deny that opportunity to go on that golf trip because I haven't spent a lot of time with my wife. So I'm going to come home and spend some time with her, even though I know that all the guys are going to make fun of me when they go and I got to stay back. We so easily give in to the opinions of others instead of standing up for the principles and the commitment to do the great work that exists in our lives. We can learn from Nehemiah. Again and again and again, he's presented with the opportunity to be distracted, to take his eye off the work that was in front of him. And he says, no, I'm doing a great work. What I'm spending my time on, this matters. This thing that I've committed to in my life is most important to me over everything else. And so, no, I don't have time for that. So, Sam Ballot, he tries again. But this time, he tries in a different way than he tried before. Instead of presenting it, it as an opportunity, he presents it as something else. But the fifth time, Sam Ballot sent his servant to me in the same way, except that now he carried an open letter. Now, the reason that that detail is significant is because of the way that communication was distributed in that time period. Typically what would happen is any formal official communication was written on some piece of parchment or leather and wrapped up and tied and then, you know, the wax seal would be placed on it. And so that you knew as that information was being distributed that it had not been read by anybody else until the receiver of that piece of communication broke the seal, opened it up, and read what was happening. It's like the first century version of a DM. It was like it just nobody else knows that it's being sent but me. But an open letter meant that every hand that exchanged that letter in its process to get to Nehemiah would have been able to read what it said. It was not a secret document. It was not private and confidential. It would have been like a public blast to everyone. An open tweet letting everybody know exactly what 
that message contained. And this is what it contained. It stated, and this is Sanballat writing to Nehemiah, it is reported among the nations and confirmed by Geshem that you and the Jews intend to rebel. This is why you are rebuilding the wall. One of the things that you can trust is that when you're committed and engaged in doing your good work, that people, critics, will distort your intentions. They will look at you, and it's often the case that they will say that the reason that you're doing what you're doing is the antithesis of why you're actually doing it. If you're engaged in some type of work and you say, no, I can't come down, they'll distort, they'll twist, they'll manipulate why you're doing it to get you to reconsider your original purpose. No, I'm not going back to work. I'm staying home with the kids. I'm committing to being there for my children through their early developmental stages because this is what's most important to me. This is what I'm committed to what I'm convinced God is calling me to do in my life. You know the only reason that she's staying home is because she actually can't make it in the real world. She, it's just safer for her to stay home. That's why she doesn't do that. You start to hear the murmurs, the whispers, the lies, often sharing the exact opposite intention of why you actually are doing what you're doing. You know the reason he goes home every day at 5 o'clock? It's not because he cares about his family or his wife. It's because he's just scared to hang out with the boys or to go out with us or, you know, he's not really a guy's guy. He's just kind of a wimpy dude. People start to criticize and to whisper and to distort your intentions. Hopefully, so that you'll become discouraged and that you'll give in to the distraction. But Nehemiah, he resists this. He he doesn't get discouraged, and he doesn't even get angry about what people are potentially saying about him. Sam Ballot's criticisms go on. He says, according to these reports, you intend to become their king. You have also appointed prophets to make this announcement about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. The other thing that critics will do outside of distorting your intentions is they will project their own intentions onto your work. The reason that it's so easy for Samballot to assume that the reason that Nehemiah was rebuilding the walls to make himself king is because these were Samballot's aspirations. This is what he actually wanted most. He was hoping for a continued weakened Jerusalem. Why? Because he was the ruler of Samaria. He knew that if Jerusalem stayed weak, he could remain strong. And so as a criticism to distract Nehemiah, he projects his own intentions on the work that Nehemiah is committed to do. This happens in our own lives as well. And what ends up happening is it presents an opportunity for us to stop focusing on the work at hand and begin to respond to the criticisms that we receive and experience. This is what Sam Ballot's hoping for. If I can provoke him, if I can prod him, if I can twist and distort his intentions, if I can project my own attentions onto his work and the reason why he's doing what he's doing, then he'll stop doing what he's doing and deal with and respond to all of these criticisms. Whether it's through discouragement or whether it's through anger. But that's not what happens to Nehemiah. See, Sam Ballot, at the end of this criticism, he presents another opportunity 
for Nehemiah to come down off the wall. I'm just telling you, Nehemiah, the king's going to hear about all this, so why don't you come on down and let's talk together. But Nehemiah resists. And he says, I sent him this reply. Nothing that you say has happened. You're just making it up out of your head. There's no validity. I'm not going to even give credit to the criticisms that you're lobbying at me. This is all fabricated. None of it has any basis in reality. And so I'm going to move on. Because Nehemiah knows they were just trying to intimidate us, imagining that they could discourage us and stop the work. Instead of spending his time focusing on the criticisms, Nehemiah says, you're crazy. You're making it all up. And I continued the work with even greater determination. So Nehemiah harnesses all of the potential energy that he could be spending, responding to the criticisms, and he pours it into the work that he has to do. What would it look like in our own lives? As we're navigating what we feel God's calling us to commit to most with our time, the great work that we have before us, when the opportunities to come, become distracted present themselves, when the criticisms emerge, what if instead of spending all this energy responding to those, we took that energy and with even greater determination, we doubled down on the one thing or the two things that we we're most supposed to do in this world? That's fine. That's fine, guys. Just chirp. Talk all that noise. Whatever. I'm still going home and spending time with my family. Even if it means that I risk potential for raises or advancement, that's fine. That's, that's not what's most important to me. And I'm, with even greater determination, going to commit to my family. That's fine, girls. Gossip, gossip all you want about my kids and about my family. But we're still going to prioritize family dinner. It is matters that my kids have a relationship with me and their dad. Keep talking. Do whatever you want to do. But we're not coming down off the wall. We're committing to the thing that's most important in our lives. If they don't get you with opportunities, if they don't get you with criticism, there's one more way that distractions present themselves. Later, I, Nehemiah, went to see Shemaiah, Deliah, son, and Mehedabel. Sometimes if you're reading scripture, you can just skip the names. That makes it easier. So later, I went to see some people who were <laughs> confined to his house, and he said, let's meet together in God's house. Inside the temple itself, let's shut the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you tonight, Nehemiah. So Nehemiah shows up to these people's house, and they say, listen, there's a plot on your life. There's an assassin coming tonight, and he's going to kill you. The only way that you're going to be able to survive this, Nehemiah, is if you run into the temple and go to the altar and hide behind the altar. Now, for us, without a lot of knowledge of first century covenantal law, that's like, fine, whatever. But see, Nehemiah recognizes that this threat is actually a trap. He replies, should someone like me run away? Now, this statement, someone like me, this is not a statement of ego or pride. This is a statement of conviction. It's a statement of commitment. Nehemiah says, listen, I've committed my life to this work. I'm not running. They can come, but I'm, 
I'm not giving in. I'm not coming down off the wall. I'm not going to be distracted from the thing that I'm supposed to do. Would you like me to go into the temple to save my life? I'm not going in. And then here's why. Then I realized that God hadn't sent him at all, but that he spoke this prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sambalat had hired him. He was hired to frighten me and to make me sin by acting in this way. Then they could give me a bad name and discredit me. Had Nehemiah gone into the temple to hide, it would have required him to go into the one place that he was not allowed to go, the Holy of Holies. Only the high priest could enter that area. But by going in and hiding behind this altar, Nehemiah would have discredited himself amongst all of the Jews and thus ending their commitment to him, his mission, and the work that they were engaged in of rebuilding the wall. So what happens when we're presented with these threats? It distracts us because we feel fear. We start to wonder what's going to happen. We start to ask, what if? What if I clock out at 5 o'clock? What, what's my boss or my employer or my coworkers going to think of me? We begin to anticipate all of the things that could potentially happen to us. What if I say no to this opportunity? What if we don't keep our kids in private school? What are people going to say about us? Do they think we're taking the easy way out? What if my kid's not successful because they're not involved in 17 activities? What if they don't make everything that they try out for? What if, what if, what if? The fear of what would happen to us is often powerful enough to pull us off the wall. This was my experience about a decade ago. So I have a unique distinction um, of taking the longest to complete seminary out of anybody at SMU. Yeah, clap, yeah, no, I'm just kidding. The reason is, is I started in 2006. I was committed, I was young, naive, and excited to engage in a life committed to ministry. And then after about a year and a half of the process, I got discouraged. And I began to ask the question that many of us ask when we're tempted to come off the wall. Well, what if, what if I'm not very good at this? What if I misunderstood God's calling on my life? What if I'm not supposed to spend my life in ministry? What if I'm not going to be successful at it? What if I get appointed to this small church in East Texas? What if, what if, what if, nothing against East Texas, I just, but ultimately underneath all of my what ifs and ultimately the what if that pulled me off the wall was what if I fail? And maybe that's the what if that's pulling you off your wall right now. This is your fear of failure. Your fear that in some way you can't make it. Some way you're not good enough. Some way this isn't actually what you're supposed to be doing. So I came off the wall. And I came off the wall for almost seven years. Until a friend and a mentor called me into his office one day. And he told me straight to my face that if I didn't go back to seminary and I didn't get ordained, was wasting my life and wasting the calling that God had placed on my life. And he was exactly right. I had allowed fear of what would happen if to pull me off the wall. Now all of this happens through the grace of God. This isn't anything that I did special. 
I'm actually the one who came down because I was scared and I was afraid. And had I not gotten back up, look at all that I would have missed out on. And my hope is that you don't make the same mistake that I made. That you don't respond to the opportunities to get distracted. That you don't get discouraged by the criticism that gets lobbed your way. And ultimately, that you don't come down off the wall because of your fear of what if. That you would remain committed to the work that's before you. The work that God is calling you to do in your life and in your community. Because if you stay on the wall, or if you get back up on the wall, this is what will happen. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul. It's actually October 2nd, ironically enough. It took 52 days. And when our enemies heard about this, all of the nations around us were afraid. And their confidence was greatly shaken. Here's the promise that I have for you this morning. If you stay on the wall, the wall will get built. If you stay committed, the season will end and you'll find the success that you were looking for. You'll have the family that you hoped for, the marriage that you dreamed of, the career that you were committed to finding. But here's the other promise. The sacrifices that it takes to complete this work, the opportunities that you have to ignore, and the criticisms and threats that you have to endure, those will only last for a season. It did not take them the rest of their lives to rebuild this wall. It was a season. This season for Nehemiah and the Jews lasted 52 days. I don't know how long your season is. Maybe it's while your kids are still young and before they go to school. Maybe your season is for the next 18 months till this deal gets completed. Maybe your season is however long you have left in school. Maybe your season is till death do you part. Don't come down off the wall. Don't get distracted by the opportunities. Don't get discouraged by the criticism. And don't allow the fear to cause you to quit. In due time, the wall will be completed. Whatever it is that you're committed to right now, whatever vision you feel like God is challenging you to fulfill, the work will get done. Because just like for Nehemiah and the Jews, the work is not being done on your own. Because ultimately for me, and my decision to return to seminary and to go back to school, that was what changed, was my recognition that I wasn't doing this by myself. I couldn't come up with a good enough answer as to why I should do this. Why me? Who was I to stand up in front of people and talk about God? And after a lot of soul searching and a lot of prayer, fortunately, I came to the same conclusion that Nehemiah came to. I realized that I wasn't doing it alone. And it wasn't based on how good or talented or smart or funny I was. But it was about how obedient I could be to allow God to work in my life. And that's the same is true for Nehemiah. His enemies get discouraged once they see the wall complete. Because they knew that this work was completed with the help of our God.
the work that you're doing will be completed through the help of your God. So if you leave and you only remember one thing, I hope that you'll leave with the confidence to say this in your life. I am doing a great work and I can't come down. I'm doing a great work and I can't come down. I'm doing a great work no matter the distractions, no matter the criticism, no matter the fear, I'm doing a great work and I can't come down. Let's pray. God, you have all called us to a work, a vision for what could be, for what should be in the world, whether it's with our families or our careers or our relationships. God, you know the work that you have laid out before us, that you have called us to commit to. God, it is so easy to get distracted, to say yes to all of these good things at the expense of the most important thing. So God, help us stay focused and help us stay convicted even in the face of criticism or fear because we know that through our commitment that you will complete the great work. We love you and we're grateful for this. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, this is Stephen, and I want to welcome you or welcome you back to the Grove Church Podcast. For more information or to find more resources like this one, be sure to visit us at grove.org. Thanks for listening, and I hope the following message is encouraging and meaningful to your life.